Welcome to the Her is Calling podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Laura Forrest. Couldn't be more happy to have Laura on the podcast today. I'm going to read just a very brief kind of liner notes of some of Laura's history and background so we can appreciate who she is and what she's bringing to the podcast today. Laura Forrest received her undergrad in multicultural education from the University of Massachusetts, then move out west to Taos, New Mexico to do her teaching internship. But when she realized that she was more interested in the home lives of the children she was teaching, she decided she wanted to be a counselor. Laura earned her master's in social work from Simmons College in 1987 and afterwards spent some years in Boston working in community mental health, a therapeutic high school, and as a medical social worker at Boston's Children's Hospital. She returned to Santa Fe, New Mexico four years later and worked as a counselor in an incest treatment program and a rape crisis center. Laura is trained as an EMDR therapist and has combined years of training and other clinical modalities such as somatic therapy, mindfulness, meditation, EBT, and more, and has been in private practice for the past 30 years. She has incorporated and offers equine experiential therapy as part of her practice. She created a program with Victoria Williams called Discovery with Horses over 15 years ago in which she facilitates workshops and retreats. Her passions include her husband of 31 years, her daughters, family, community, horses, and world travel, especially seeing things from between the ears of a horse. Welcome, Laura. Hey, Laura. <laughs> wow. Hi, guys. <laughs> So happy you joined us today. You have so much. Wow. I don't, we're going to have to make this a multi-part series because Laura has so much experience with horses from a horsewoman perspective, mm -hmm. from an equine therapy perspective. She has incredible world travel experiences mm -hmm. from Patagonia to Mongolia, uh, to just name a couple. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about today. We'll... What are we going to start with today, Victoria? Well, we're, we're talking more about Laura's personal horse journey, and maybe we'll get a little bit into the equine the piece. Cool. Um, and see where section of therapy and horses has sort of fleshed out for Laura. Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, this is we're going to have to do multiple parts because we <laughs> have to parts. hear about Mongolia, Patagonia, all from the back of a horse. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is just the beginning. And Laura and I have been friends for many, many years. Yeah, you guys have been friends longer than we've known each other. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so <laughs> Laura officiated our wedding. She did. So <laughs> Laura is a very important person in our lives. And so we're so yeah. uh, happy and lucky to have her on our podcast today. It's a privilege. So thank you. Guys, thank you. You're two of my favorite <laughs> humans on earth. So I'm I feel um grateful and honored to be here and be part of you know this podcast. Yay. Yay. So let's just dive right in. Yeah. Uh Laura, can you tell us about your horse life these days, including like a snapshot of what your typical horse day looks like? Sure. Um, I pretty much decided that my horse life looks a lot better in the summer than it does in winters in band, as it seems to snow, freeze, melt, slush, 
do everything within 24 hours. You just never know. But that right. being said, um, I um, live on this beautiful, beautiful little um, hobby farm. I'm in Tumalo. Uh, it's just outside of Bend, and where I get to have my horses actually can look out the window and there's my horses. Every window in my house, I can kind of see horses. So I feel super lucky. Currently, I have two geldings, one that was actually born on our property 20 years ago. He related to Victoria's, one of her sole horses there. Um, mm-hmm. And then my other horse, Rio de la Vida, Rio, is a 23-year-old gelding. Both horses, despite being a little bit older, definitely don't act it, particularly Bodhi. Um, <laughs> We have another horse that boards here. So I think your question is, what was my, what was the question? As I could start talking about my horses and I don't think that's the idea of the podcast. No, that's great. Just, yeah. no, that's a wonderful snapshot of, of what your life with horses look like. Kind of just, if we, if we just zoomed in for a second, yeah. you've got yeah. this beautiful place out in Tumlo, which is just a lovely sort of oasis yeah, it's a really beautiful place in Central yeah. Oregon. Um, Magical. You do a lot of trail riding today, like these yep. days. I mean, maybe not like literally right now because <laughs> it's snowy and icy. You can trail ride right from my property, and that's kind of the main modality. I've also been part of my horse journey this past year, which has really been a highlight in my my own personal journey of horsemanship, and it's been um, amazing, absolutely amazing. I've done that with my horse Bodie. And so just kind of sinking into what Josh and Victoria have created with my horse journey. That's really been a huge part of my horse world these past couple of years. Now working home since COVID, which has been awesome because I have a yurt on our property. And so I get to interact with my horses probably 12 times a day. I get to feed them in the morning. They get lunch now. They're so excited that I work them home. I, you know, get to give them dinner. I interact with them on the ground, not riding many, many hours of a day. And I think I feel really lucky that I get to actually have them home. So our relationship is really based on just, they're part of our family. You know, I interacted with them maybe more than I do with my husband on some days. So um, yeah, that's kind of what my horse world looks like at the moment. Yeah. That's really good. Why were you first drawn to horses? How did it all begin? You know, that was a great question. And honestly, I mean, I'll just say I was born with it. I cannot remember a moment when there was this aha, I love horses. It just was something that honestly goes as far back in my memory that there was something about horses, even just photos of horses, because I wasn't, didn't get to be around horses. I come from a totally non-horsey family. Nobody could understand what was, you know, what I was. Bewitched with and why it made no sense. So I really think it just, I like, you know, we can kind of look past lives. We can look at all sorts of things. The bottom line is, I think I came into this world wired to to be drawn to horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What, can you tell us about your first horse? I I feel like there's there's some there's some stuff there that would be really yeah good. Uh, yeah. So so um. You know, I think, as I said, it was this horse crazy toddler. And then uh, as I got a little older, you know, I don't know if you showing my age a bit, but used to be back of uh, cereal boxes for those older folks out there. They would have all these contests that you could win a pony. Yeah. Seriously. 
They would be on the back of cereal. Like an actual <laughs> pony? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The back, you know, all the cereal boxes would have the whole back would be win a pony. And yeah. I have a little shell of wow. pony with a little Western saddle. And it usually was like a little paste. And I, and then you had to cut out the cardboard and pull your name in. And I remember as far as back as I can remember, I begged my mother to just enter the contest. And my grandmother had a little plot of land. Now, if I go by and look at it back in the, it was probably about a 20th of an acre. I mean, it was like, <laughs> but she said to me someday, when, if you still love horses or you win the pony, you can keep your horse here. So I was like all in that. Um, <laughs> And she promised me that I could have a horse if I still loved horses. She'd buy me a horse at 13. My whole childhood was around anything that could, any way I could be around horses, any way. I mean, muck stalls, stop, you know, beg them for lessons. Fast forward, when I was 13, I cashed in. Oh, I I was not going to forget. Did not forget. We found this very overweight horse that hadn't been ridden in like 10 years. I think he was, well, I don't know. Uh, he was this black Morgan quarter horse. We bought him. My family knew nothing about horses, no vet checks, nothing. Just, okay, $500, price is right. It's your horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously. And, you know, when I look back on that now, it's like I named that horse Miyamoto, which is my dear one. That horse was a horse you could gallop through cornfields blindfold. You could have, you, I would clean his sheath, you know, standing there. I would swim across lakes that I had no idea if there was a bottom. I mean, he was the horse, total trust, total partnership. Got him down, his weight got him down, started showing him to 4 H Pony Club. He was the greatest horse that I've ever owned. Mm-hmm. And all just the backyard, didn't know what the heck we were doing, horse. So he became instrumental in my, my formative years for sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so once you were on the pass, you know, and, and sort of moved on and got older, how did your journey progress to Mal? Yeah, that's a big question. Boy, you know, I mean, I had me a motto through high school when I went off to college, I had to sell them. So to a little girl, it made me very happy. But through many, many years of of moving, trying to figure out who I was, career stuff, I couldn't own a horse again. You know, I was always renting, you know, just I didn't get married till I was older. So I was on the move a lot and would just, you know, wherever I could find a horse to ride, find a horse to brush, you know, whatever I could do, it didn't matter, stall to clean anything I could do to, to stay connected to horses, um, knowing that someday my dream was to own a place and have horses of my own and raise child, my children with horses. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Bend, Oregon when I was 40 and had my younger daughter when a year old that I got pregnant again, my second daughter, but I bought a horse. It's been that way ever since. So yeah, it, there was a bunch of years where you know, just owning horses was just not something I could do for so many reasons. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, we've, we've talked to a few people now on the podcast and it's definitely a theme, like kind of drawn to horses as when they're young and then, you know, that young adulthood having to go out and yeah. and be a young adult. <laughs> yeah. Horses yeah. sometimes have to 
have to take a back seat. But the other common thread is that we all figure out ways to stay connected to horses in some way, yeah. shape or form. And Absolutely. I think that's pretty cool and very interesting too. Yeah. It sort of all always became my part of the equation of whatever I, whatever I did is how to keep horses in my life. It never went away. Not even, I don't think it ever, you know, ever went away. It was always there in the background that this was my passion. And it wasn't something I was just going to not be passionate about just because I couldn't own my own horse. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's so powerful, too, when we think about visualization and manifestation. You ended up manifesting your dream life, having yeah. the little farm, having horses all around. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty powerful when you think about that. Yeah. yeah, I honestly, you know, I appreciate you saying that, Victoria, because I honest, I don't take it for granted. I mm -hmm. pinch myself often when I'm out on Rio or Bodhi and I'm out there in the out of the reservoir and the, you know, cascades are moving there and I'm riding with a friend or riding alone and I come back to my beautiful little farm, I have my little trailer, you know, I'm living my dream. I yeah. truly am. And I never take that for granted. I constantly feel remind myself how blessed I am. But it didn't come easy. I will say really? that. It didn't just drop into my lap. There were a lot of really hard life experiences. It wasn't like all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, you know, it, there was many, many rocky speed bumps along the way and definitely some few deep ditches. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I do now go, oh, this is, I'm living my dream. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that vision of the dream, sort of the the North Star, right? It's, it Absolutely. keeps you working through those ditches and valleys and trenches. I just want to say, you know, as, as I was thinking about this podcast, like making the wrong turns. And there were turns I almost made that, I mean, there were definitely junctures in the path that could have been led my life in a very different, different direction. So following, yeah, that North Star, like keeping that vision of what, what, who are you really and why are you here on this earth and what is it you want? And don't, don't get off the path because you get off the path, you're off the path. So right. there were many steps along the way where things could have been much different. You're thinking about some of those choices or some of those moments that, that could have set you on a path that could have made things unfold differently. What's like a... Just if you had a one or two lessons that up that that resonate mm -hmm. these days that came out of those yeah minimal experiences, what yeah, what do you think back on and go, whoa, that was actually a really good lesson, <laughs> yeah, or good choice, <laughs> right, right, it's a good choice, yeah, no, I mean, I'll, I'll be really upfront, you know, I'm a therapist, so I, you know, I try to be as authentic and real and not hide my story. But I think, you know, one of the early ones was being in a very, very abusive relationship and um, living with somebody who I um, was hurting me and um, getting out of that relationship. That was, that was, a, that was a huge, very, this was my early twenties. I was living out in Taos Pueblo, um, out in New Mexico. And that was making that choice to get out of that relationship when I was very much alone and didn't have a horse as my guide. That was, uh, I wish there were, there were 
forces in my life to do that. It would have made it easier. Other times, I mean, a little self-disclosure, you know, walking away from a wedding. Mm. A really lovely person, but knowing that that um, in the deepest of my hearts, moving, uh, he came he came from another country and moving to another country, in, that I, I wouldn't have my dream. And part of that dream was having the horses in my dream. And um, as much as I cared about him, knowing that that was, that was his path, that was my path. Mm-hmm. So very, very, very hard decisions that caused, you know, and then the rough years after that. So, you know, just things like that, like, like really checking in, like, you know, is this my life? Is this, is this my dream? I think that's, you know, that's really important to constantly check in. Am I doing what I want to be doing or am I doing it because I should be doing it or it's too hard not to do it or there's too it's too scary what might be on the other side the unknown so you know I know that's where people get really stuck in that fear so wow yeah 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 I mean just looking at at the life that you have manifested I it kind of gives me chills thinking about some of those watershed moments and the underlying thread seems to be courage, yeah. you know, making the decision that was actually harder was, the, you know, you knew somewhere deep down it was the right decision, but it wasn't the easy decision. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. The easiest is always just to stay put and don't do any, do what you know, even if what you know is, is really unhealthy for you. But yeah, taking that step into jumping in over that bridge of unknown is really, I think, where growth comes from. I mean, it really, really is. And and trust, yeah. I mean, I think that's great. You brought up that word, Victoria, because in in you know my horse journey, that's been my mantra. Trust. It's really becoming my mantra. It, I, I realize it's always been there. I just wasn't. I, I just didn't name it. I got to name it in my horse journey, which was really, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask, how have some of those experiences that were rougher or those kind of moments that were difficult inform the type of horse person you are now? And I think you just answered that question. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think just, you know, the other pieces that I think inform myself as a horse person, horsewoman, is trusting your intuition, mm-hmm. listening to your gut. Being real with that. Don't try to hide it or pretend that you're not feeling it. Like be with it, lean into it. Not to sound like Brene Brown, but I think that's a really good, you know, leaning into that discomfort and and being curious with it and 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 looking at it as your guide. I think, you know, yeah. So I could go off on, you know, the whole thing with horses. But I think, yeah, that's just being authentic and real with yourself, even if it hurts, even if it's hard. Mm. And Horses, you know, need that from us to be as real and as authentic as we can be in order for them to trust us and trust that we're not playing a game or going to do something tricky. Um, Right. I I am thinking about what you said about when you were in New Mexico and doing your teaching internship after your undergrad and you realized that maybe you were more interested in the kids' home lives that you were working with than the classroom with. Is, yeah. Was that the moment you decided you wanted to be a therapist or did that unfold over a longer period of time? How did that all come 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Being a therapist, look, I was the middle child, only girl. My family life wasn't awesome. You know, it was not awesome. And I was always mediating and kind of being the caretaker. So I think my natural born inclination to be a therapist started from my whole life. It was just, yeah, what I ended up doing. But I didn't know that's what I wanted to do as a career. I knew I wanted, because I was very, very unhappy as a kid, back to horses. They were my happy place, for sure. First horse, I I sometimes say, saved my life as a teenager, for sure. Um, That relationship, that horse. But I think I was, became interested in helping people with depression and anxiety and trauma, all the things I was experiencing. It's kind of all I knew. So I sort of thought, oh, okay, maybe someday I could work with people, not knowing it was going to be as a counselor. But yeah, when I went out to New Mexico and and had the privilege of living at Taos on the Pueblo, at Taos Pueblo, I was just intrigued and interested in what was going on culturally among the kids I was working with and what was going on in their home life because they just would share with me. And that felt really, it just felt very natural. So I think, and teaching did it. I was a terrible teacher. I just, I, spe- I can't spell, you know, and if you're a teacher, that's, um, that's definitely an issue. I always had parents writing letters saying, uh, about that second grade teacher, could she like, uh, it's but just, anyhow, that's a whole language story. But anyhow, so, so I think it was then that I left New Mexico and got out of that abusive relationship. In my first year in Boston, it was, I was a case manager working with elderly folks that were um, in the worst neighborhoods of Boston. And that opened my eyes to social work. My supervisor was a social worker. And from there, it was like, oh, this is what I want to do. So um, that's where that, and it felt natural and interesting. And my graduate program was fascinating. And so from there, that's kind of where I decided to make it a career. Yeah, I hear I hear courage. I hear vulnerability. I hear um, empathy. I just like all the things, all your attributes and qualities that started to fall into place and align to set you on this path. Yeah. Yeah. And then so the equine psychotherapy, how did you become involved with that? What, how did that, I mean, it seems like a very natural progression, but there had to be a moment, right? Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's, that's another great question. I think, you know, here I was a psychotherapist, did my own talk therapy in my 20s to get through all that mess. But then in my, really my 40s, I wanted to do more personal work, but I didn't want to talk to a therapist. Horses for me were my way of healing. I knew that. Like that was for me, um, something would shift and change and ahas would come up to me when I was around a horse, not a psychotherapist. Ironically, I am one, so not really making a big stance <laughs> forward But the truth was for me that I started seeking programs to go do my personal work. And it really started from there that I went to, I believe it was Barbara. No, my first was with Igala. And, um, and then I met Barbara Rector, who's kind of pioneers in this field. I went and did a workshop for, with her as a participant. Totally as, and I had a moment, a couple moments during that workshop that blew me off my feet. Mm. Insight into myself with the horses. Wow. And then I was like, okay, th- this 
So then I'm like, whoa, I like this kind of therapy. So I kept on seeking, really researching who's doing this work. Go do more personal work. I did a huge grief piece for myself with another person who's in this field. And then kind of as I started doing that, I started realizing like, whoa, wait a minute. I could bring, I could do this, not just as a participant, but this is something I should be incorporating, the in my therapy practice. So it was real like, you know, no brainer, like, oh my gosh. So then I started continuing doing my personal work, but with another lens of looking at what people were doing and then saying, oh, this really resonates and works for me. This absolutely does not work for me and started gathering information. So that's kind of how that entered. And then, you know, I started talking with my very dear friend, Victoria Williams. <laughs> Let's partner up. Let's do this. So that was sort of the, the progression. It really just started for me seeking um, my own therapist, which I knew was going to be a horse. Right. And there's right. a lot of good horse therapies, therapists out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not the people, the horses, the, the four-legged the ones, right? Four-legged, right. yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, yeah. I I think when you first sort of brought me into the fold, yeah, I remember being kind of blown away, and also it was very hard for me, especially initially, to sort of take off my horse trainer riding instructor lens. Mm-hmm. When it came to the therapy, mm-hmm. and you really helped me a lot with that. Like you really helped me learn how to have both things be true at the same time. Like there is, you know, some some horsemanship that has to be attended to here, but there's also needs to be the space for growth and interpretation and not trying to manage or control everything with clients and horses, that's been an ongoing awakening process for me and probably informs a lot of the actual horse training and riding instruction that is not, you know, quote unquote, therapeutically based, so to speak, but realizing that they actually aren't mutually exclusive ever. Yeah. 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 Your experience with your horsewoman hat and your therapist hat, do you find do you find that there's contradiction there or that they're blending? Like, how do you navigate those? I think that there's blending. There's such a beautiful blending. There's an unfolding that's just so natural in both those both those worlds. And right. again, I think it's because of the horse, the nature of the horse, and what the horse gifts us and offers us, and their own, you know, even the horse's own. You know, I call horses shamans because I think they are shamans in some way. So, yeah, I mean, it all, it's, I, that's why I, I truly believe bringing horses into a healing or a therapeutic or a growthful experience for people is perfect. It's different than dogs using animals for any kind of therapy is fabulous for sure. But horses are special. In what they offer us. So I'm not sure I answered your question. I kind of no, it's beautiful. I, I think you nailed it. If you had to sort of sum up, which I think it's really hard to sum up, but if you could just sort of bring together what it is about horses that makes that kind of therapy so special, equine therapy yeah. so special, what do you think it is? If you could just sort of yeah. Yeah. bullet points. I know. Yeah. Oh, that's such a big question. 
Um, but okay, so let me just sit with that for a second. You know, okay, I'm not going to go on the whole horses are um, prey animals, not predators, but I think there is something to be said that a prey animal is working with many different senses and always aware of where there's danger or mistrust or so they're operating on on a, a very different level than maybe a dog who's a, not a prey animal predator. So forces their 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 tuning in, their senses, their awareness is their ability to be in the moment, completely using their hearts, their energy fields, their basic, we won't go off on brain science, but that's a whole mm -hmm. other podcast. But so here they are, these amazing, and their size, they're big, right. they're powerful, they can be intimidating. Talk about paradox, sensitive, but strong and powerful, right? Exactly, exactly. So they have these hearts of gold and this deep intuitive and, you know, intuition and these senses, but there are these big bodies, you know, that can be very intimidating and they can be powerful and they could be, you know, dangerous too, if they're scared or, you know, whatever. So, so there is that paradox. So what a perfect paradox then to bring to us humans. Because we have all that too, right? We can be, we can be predators. We can be angry and scared and dangerous. We can be, you know, and we can be in our heart and in our vulnerability and be mindful and aware if we learn how to do that. Okay. So, so there you bring these, you know, humans and horses together to kind of do some cha-cha of sorts to kind of figure stuff out with each other. Horses also need us to be authentic and real. And that's huge because we wear so many masks. Right. Uh, you know, we all have our, our, our facades and our masks. And horses, they, they don't go for that. They, and they don't give two rips what we look like or what our sexuality is or how much money we make or how oh, important yeah. we are. They don't care. They just see us as beings. So we get to strip away all that crap that mm -hmm. defines us. And have to really reach into our truest, most authentic self to be able to gain their trust and become partners in connection with them. And I can't think of any other animal, you know, and honestly, in all fairness, I don't study lions and monkeys. So maybe, maybe there is. I just <laughs> do horses. The horses are enough for me. But, um, but, but, but there lies the beautiful relationship in those opportunities for healing and insights and ahas into who we, are, and who we are because you hear that cliche, horses are the mirrors, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's true, right. but they're more than mirrors. They're not mirrors. They're sentient beings. They're, they're not a thing, okay? So they're constant interacting and feeling us and, 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 and teaching us every second. Woo, I went on a tangent. No, <laughs> that was a gorgeous tangent. I'm, I'm just taking notes, Laura. Yeah. Like a masterclass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm sensing a, a masterclass collab with Laura yeah. on, on this. But no, that was wonderful. I don't want to take you guys off the train of exploring why horses are such great therapeutic agents. But Laura, I did want to <laughs> just ask you if you could share a little bit. You mentioned you had a couple of moments of the Barbara Reichter, did I say her Barbara name right? Uh, -huh. uh you said like an insight to self. I was wondering if you could, do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Like, no, what, I'll what share it. I, 
it might it might be a little giveaway to people who do round pen work, but I can tell you mine, the round pen, the round pen becomes symbolic of so many things in our life. But basically she invited us and and me being the very eager student asked who wants to go first. I was like, I'll go, I'll go. Well, that was interesting. Anyhow, so she basically, in a long story short, invited us to enter the round pen and to play, to interact with the horse. And and from a place of being authentic and real, that that, that was kind of the guide guiding lines. And so I went in there and in my desire to be to not do it wrong and to be a perfectionist and I don't know what, blah, blah, blah. It was going on in my head, fear. I went in there and and started moving this poor horse because <laughs> I was like, what I was feeling and what I was showing were completely incongruent and confused the daylights out of that horse. And, and that little horse just started galloping, trying to get away from me, basically. And I'm like, you know, showing off some Round pen skills, and I'm like, you know, Pat Pirelli, and I'm totally not in myself. Bottom line, completely lost. Laura Forrest was, I don't know where she was. She was not in the round pen. And Barbara, in, in a very loving, respectful way, asked me to stop and ask what was going on. I had no idea what was going on inside me, honestly, none, because I was totally detached from myself and had me do some breathing and some connection with my getting in touch with what was really going on. And when I stepped into that place and let go of all the facades and mass, what happened between me and my, that horse was magical. I just stopped and just started crying. It was so beautiful how that horse joined up with me in connection and play. So that was my first experience where I was like, oh, I get what horses want. I see now. So that was that was a, a big aha for me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow! Thanks for sharing that. What, yeah. yeah. So what do they want? What was the? What is it? To be real, to put all my to put all these stories I had in my head about how I should look or should be or how people will see me, how you know how I don't do it right, how I need to do it better, how I need to do it, you know to strip myself of all those stories and just come back to my heart, come back to my realness and not care what people thought about me. Because mm. that was a big one. And going first, I thought, I'm going to show off my horsemanship skills. That's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the horsewoman who right. knows a lot of things. No, that wasn't what was being called for. That horse didn't want me to be pushing him around the round pen at a full gallop, you know? So, so I think that was like, it's okay just to stop, take a breath and be who I am and be vulnerable and be scared and be not know what they have to do. And that was okay. And so I think that was the lesson for me in that moment. I don't, I couldn't have got there talking with a therapist and maybe it would have taken three years versus 20 minutes. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. That's that's the mm. stuff. That's what we're all looking. I mean, the the that's the truth, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the truth. And so it was very humbling. You know, it was a mm-hmm. humbling experience to get out of my ego and step into my heart and be present in a way that I'm a pretty anxious person. So sometimes it's hard for me to be present because I get anxious mm-hmm. and I have to stop 
take those breaths, ground myself, be curious about what's causing the anxiety and then let it go. Okay. And horses help us with that. Yeah. They really do. So, yeah. Well, do you have, I might be using you for therapy a little bit, but I'm curious the t- the tears, you know, like you said, you, you made you cry when you came to that realization. Do you know? Cause I mean, I've felt that I've seen, seen it happen. Like what, where do the tears come from? It feels like something it's like so beautiful, but it, like, then you're kind of like, well, why am I crying? Do you have a, a feeling or what was it for you in that moment that, that brings tears yeah. and what do those tears mean? Yeah, no, that's a, another great question. I'm thinking about another experience I had as a client with a horse where I literally um, fell to my knees. There weren't tears, there were sobs, mm. sobs. And we're talking foreign snots coming out of the nose, you know, sobs. Like I was to my knees. And that's a whole great story, what happened in that. But I think for me, the tears are release. You know, they can be released. They can be the deepest of emotion. I, I, I sometimes cry when I'm with a client and I see them go through a, a, a very huge, profound shift. And I'll cry because I'm so touched in the deepest of my soul. And I think I cried in Patagonia when I was galloping a horse on the beach because that was my tears were of joy, like the deepest deepest of joy. So I think I see tears can be so many things, you know, but I think they are really like, okay, so this is a little metaphor that just came up in my head, but it's like, we have this beautiful bloom or this also Patagonia, beautiful little bloom in our souls. You know, it's like turquoise Mm -hmm. water and it's like sacred water. And I sometimes see our tears come from that deepest place within us. Whether it be grief, whether it be joy, whether it be connection, you know, to another human or a profound shift. To me, it's like it's where we touch life in its most profound way. Mm-hmm. So that's rough. I'm getting goose, goosebumps yeah, just saying me this. Too. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, I think tears can mean so many things. But I think if we can really tap in and let it happen. And not start labeling it as, oh, it's weakness when we cry. You know, but that is tough. Don't, don't show tears. That's, you know, tears are our life force. They're our strength. They're the most courageous part of who we are. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if horses could cry, they would a lot. <laughs> but they do, you know, they, their eyes work in different ways. They cry in a different way. But anyhow, <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, I feel like I, I am, I know more about something right now <laughs> about something that's sort of mystical and, and unknown. So that, that is really special. And, and also that's my interpretation. Right. You know, that's just what it is. My, that's my experience. It can be so different for somebody else. And that's just, Yeah. Yeah, how I experience it. So um, I'm not an expert on crying by any what it means. <laughs> it's something really different for everybody. You are, you are, yeah, 
Yeah, well, I think you you have some experience in that department too. So so I think it's really helpful. I would like to come back to equine therapy too, but okay. I wanted to ask Laura, like what your life is, it's so in service to others from a very young age. You know, you're all, it seemed like you, it seemed like you're always seeking a role of service in the world. You know, I, the, the degree of social work and counseling, the, those professions are so profound. I know you've, one of Victoria's inspirations mm -hmm. for entering her MSW program. Mm -hmm. And do you, I, I don't know what my question is exactly. I'm just kind of wondering what, what do you think drew you to that? could say the role I had in my families, my parents were divorced really young when I was really young, but yeah, I get it. I just, it's just who I am, you know, it's who I am. I, it's how I came into the world. It's just what feels natural to me. It's my, where I'm, my comfort place. It's, it's your truth. Like I don't, yeah, it's my truth. I mean, I, I just feel like I don't feel fulfilled if I'm not in doing of some sort of service. It's like, it's, it's like what, what I was meant to do on this planet. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It just feels, you know, jokingly talked about doing other careers or trying, you know, I get tired of being a therapist or my, you know, well is full or they start thinking, well, oh boy, I could, you know, do this and make lots of money. And I go, I'd be unhappy. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a happy person. I'd, I'd be an unfulfilled person. So it fulfills something in me. Right. Well, and I don't know what that is. I think it's so interesting that you just, knew that and were able to stay true to that from such a, an early age. I think that's what Josh is trying to wrap his head around. What, yeah, it's like many of us, I think, get on a, a journey in our lives where we have to kind of come back to that truth or come back to our yeah. essential truths or edict by, by which our North Star, by which we live our life. And it just seems like you you just had a very clear picture of that and you stayed true to it um yeah. through your whole life and you made decisions that kept you on that path and I think that is pretty unique and it's very inspirational for me thank you thank you yeah it is and you can be just fun I know those are just a couple you know major moments but I know you've had many more where that truth was really forged you know this right. hard decisions I mean, those are hard decisions you made and it's it's almost like that was the sort of fires that purified that direction and kept you on the path and as a metaphor yeah i feel you know and honestly you know I, i'm just listening to you both I'm, I'm very touched you know i never really thought of it that way i mean there's something about sharing your story that all of a sudden you go oh oh <laughs> know that about myself you know it's sort of interesting but but i also feel very lucky and blessed because i know it's not this i know that's not that that's not not everybody gets to have right. that clarity and feel as i say blessed because i don't feel like it's naturally something that i did it's just how it unfolded what my mm -hmm. life this life is about for me and i feel yeah i feel I feel lucky that my passions and, and my knowing, that deep knowing, which I do feel I've had since I was kid, you know, has been, has always been there. And it's really helped me. 
Um, that being said, I will say I'm in a time in my life right now that my daughters have moved on. You know, they're creating their own families and careers. My husband and I are getting older. There's a shift. And I'm not really totally sure where that's going to, where I'm going next. So it's really a, a perplexing time for me. Mm -hmm. um, very perplexing and, and a little uncomfortable, you know, because it's, it's a different phase of my life, which is the golden years, whatever the heck that is, you know. But I kind of know what I don't want. So I'm kind of using what I don't want as the guide right now, finding my way from there. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that too. That's just the thing. We never quite have it all figured out. <laughs> that is the paradox. It's not like you just decide this is my path and I'm going to stay true to it. It's like it has to be every day you're yeah. tested and, and things yeah. change, you know, life changes, situations changes. Yeah. Then I will say, excuse me, I know we to interrupt, but then I go back to that mantra. Trust it's going to unfold. Trust that if I don't know what's around the corner, that's okay today. That I will see what's around the bend. It will, it will unfold. And I ha I'm just trying to really sink into trust. Do what feels right right now, even if you aren't sure what's ahead. It's interesting, and I'll just say, like this trip I just got back a week ago from Chile, Patagonia. I knew this is what I have to do now. That was really clear. Like I got to do this trip now. I do not. I cannot put it off. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sort of like those little tidbits of of pieces of like. And once it comes in my head, there's no turning away from it. Like I got to do it. So. I'm hoping that will continue. <laughs> Actually, what am I going to do when I turn 65? You know, <laughs> yeah, it seems like it will. You're, but it is interesting. You have to keep, <laughs> you're always going to be tested, I guess. It's interesting too, just the way you talked about your drive to serve and, and led you to your career. I was really similar to the way you talked about horses. And that you were really born with it, that it was just kind of deep inner drive. It's not really even a conscious, seems like it came from the ethers or who knows where. Yeah. 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 I'll have to listen back on this podcast and learn some things about myself. <laughs> right? It's do some journaling after this. It's rich. It's yeah. rich. And this is just going to be part one. Yeah, <laughs> so much I want to dig into with equine therapy because Laura has, what's cool about you, Laura, um, one of the many things is that you had such a long history with being a therapist and working in so many different settings and horses. Mm -hmm. And then you took that and you've learned so many different mm -hmm. ways to use equine therapy, different mm -hmm. applications. You've studied with so many different great trainers and different paths. So I just, I, I really want to dig into that, but I know that's going to be like a whole yeah. discussion. So maybe that would be a good part too. More, okay. more of the different modalities. I, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. Well, so if we were going to start maybe honing this, <laughs> do you think that your life experiences with horses have helped you be a better therapist? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. You want to hear why? Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course. Um, I think 
you know, honestly, like, I think what I offer my clients most or what I'm best at is that I can be, I think with my clients, I am very much who I am. I don't, I'm not a scary therapist. I'm not a, and, and I break some, I break, I break the rules. <laughs> I mean, I went to, you know, I went to a very traditional clinical social work program. Sophie Freud was one of my professors, granddaughter Freud, very, you know, we you show yourself, you're the type of Russell, you know, you don't share anything mm -hmm. about yourself. You don't have a photo of your family in your office. Like you are like, that's how I was trained. And that just didn't work for me. And so I think how I show up with my clients is what I'm learning to show up and how I show up for my horses, which is just try to be real and authentic. With my clients, I think what helps the most important thing in a therapeutic relationship is trust. It's all mm -hmm. about the relationship. You know, it's not about how many theories you know, or are you doing this, you know, EMDR the most correct way or blah, blah, blah. It's really how you are in relationship because that's really, everything comes down to relationships, connection. So I think as a therapist, I am, I'm very real. I'm approachable. I think um, people can trust me because they know I'm, I'm just another human being in the room with them, holding space in love and best wishes. And I try to do that with my horses. I think my horses know that about me. And there we're learning a lot of it through, you know, my horse journey has really helped me, you know, practice that. But I think that is, you know, horses want us to be congruent, authentic, and real to be able to trust us and be in partnership and connection with us. Same, same yeah. as, as a therapist and a client. Because if you don't have that foundation, you have nothing. You're not gonna. You're not gonna get anything accomplished. You're gonna be doing, you know, circles and kicking up a lot of dust for no reason, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah. I think that's the that's with my my connection and partnership with horses helps me be a better therapist because I have to operate from the same places. Did that right. it absolutely did. Okay. Yeah, okay. it absolutely is beautiful. So the common thread between horses and human relationships is, would you say trust? Would you Connection say and trust. Connection trust. and trust. If you don't have trust, there's nothing, you can't do anything, you know? I mean, it's going to be just a scary place. So yeah, I think trust and then connection comes from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. If my horse doesn't trust me, He's not, or she's not going to want to connect with me. They're not going to have a, any, and it's the same with my clients. They're not going to be vulnerable and open up to me. Right. They don't right. trust me. They shouldn't. Right. If they do, then I should talk about how they get in abusive relationships because that's right. probably what they do, you know, but, but that's so using, I use the relationship with my clients, me and them, just like with horses. And that's, that's, I think really important in being a therapist. I even had a client yesterday, you know, talk a little bit about her, you know, kind of her fear of, you know, someday when I retire, whatever. And I said, well, we need to, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, but not like from a deep level of what it means to care about somebody and then they leave. Like that's really what we're talking about here. 
Mm. And, you know, it's not. So, so it's just all, it's all about relationship. And I think therapist, client, horse, horse person, relationship. Mm-hmm. Bam. That's it. Wow. Might drop. <laughs> There's a little more, but yeah. Right. right. Yeah. That's powerful. That's, it's so cool that how people who are really, you know, good masters of their craft can simply explain really deep and complicated things. So I really appreciate that. Yes, that was beautiful. And yeah, a, a, a tribute to Laura's mastery, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's I, thank wisdom. You. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing it. So we just have a few more questions, but if folks were going to look you up, get involved with what you've got going on, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way and what what projects are you working on? How can people connect with those projects? That's, that's, uh, that's a hard question because here I am in this time of transition and I'm not really right. sure what that looks like. However, in, like if you go to my website, you'll see date pre-COVID dates with nothing new. That's going to change, but I'm not sure exactly how and what that's going to change. Really, this past year has been really working in the horse journey and working on my own journey with my horses. To answer, though, um, people can certainly email, go to my, they can subscribe, go on my website, discoverywithhorses.com, and there's a subscribe button. When I do have offerings, I'll go through that list, send folks that. I think that's probably the best way at this point, just to go that. I could start giving emails and phone numbers, but... I think right now, subscribe, and then as it unfolds for me, I will let people know. But I am really in that place of trying to figure that out. Yeah. Or be open to figuring it out or whatever. Yeah, that's great. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And so in the meantime, if people subscribe uh, to Discovery with Horses, they can be in the loop as your your process unfold, which is kind of exciting. It is. Yeah. 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 Very <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm going to have some conversations with the two of you too. So right. <laughs> very exciting times. Well, that's good for people to know because even though the maybe the dates are old, you still are mm-hmm. the, su- the subscribe blank and all that still working. People can reach you yeah. through there. Yeah. So I'm, al- I'm still alive and, and hopping. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the top three things that you know, if you could only tell people three things about horses and why they're meaningful in terms yeah. of teaching people about themselves, okay. yeah, what would it be? What would those three things be? Okay, very simple. Number one, horses could make us feel really good. Yeah, really, really good. Okay, just being around a horse is good medicine. Just, just, just being. That's number one. The other thing is horses help empower us, gain confidence, help us with our self-esteem, help us get real with who we are. So I I can't think of a better animal that can can help us with some of that harder stuff. And, you know, I think just, okay, this this is hard because it's coming from my head. I mean, they're wonderful, wonderful animals. And give give yourself the gift of experience 
the experience of being around a horse, even if you're terrified, that's okay. That's totally okay. They'll teach you something about yourself. I promise that. Mm. What that will be, there's a million different things that they will teach you. Okay. So find a horse and, and, and just, even if it's sitting on the other side of the fence and listening to the chomping grass and really okay. listen to that sound, it will slow your heart rate and make you feel better. Yeah. Right. That's, that's good. Those are really good ones. <laughs> so I want to just riff on that a little bit for you. What's one of your greatest triumphs or aha moments with your own horses or your personal horsemanship practice? Ah, I know. Um, this <laughs> is many. There's so many. I don't right. know if I can. I mean. Okay, ask the question one more time because my head just went to so many different places. What's an aha or a triumph that you've experienced with horses in your own personal horsemanship practice? So, okay, so there, so to answer that question, I got to divide it in two. Okay. One is on the back of a horse and one is not on the back of a horse. Okay. Um, one of the biggest aha moments for me about letting go and experiencing true joy, like stepping into my most uncomfortable place and then feeling so fully alive was a gallop I had in Mongolia. Mm. And it was gallop on this horse's letting go and letting this horse be fully into his, himself. Like he was fast as the wind and I was terrified to really let go, but I did. And that was a moment when I got to the other side, that's another burst in, into crying moment. And the Mongolian horseman who was next to me was horrified because he thought I was so upset. And I was really just in sheer joy of that moment of letting go and experiencing the raw energy of a horse like that. So there was yes. that. So, right. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah. And I had it and I had in Patagonia so many like were like, whoa. So then not being on the horse, you know, on in the saddle, so many aha moments of healing, like, like, as I described earlier, being dropped to my knees, grief and looking up and having the horse's head right on top, this mare just holding like the crown in space for me. Hmm. Like that was, that was a moment of healing for me, like no other. And what led up to that was pretty profound. So, and honestly, so many moments on my horse journey, you know, with Bodhi, like mm -hmm. connecting with him in ways um, that I haven't in the 20 years I've owned him. Wow. So just some really beautiful, you know, things I've learned through, you know, through your program and being a participant and, it's always amazing to me how much we just keep on learning and what keeps unfolding. And so there were, there were moments with Bodhi this past year where our connection just so deepened in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Yes. So good. It's hard, to, it's hard to put words to that, you know, to that question. Cause again, it's like where I go is into this deeply feeling place and, I struggle to find the words to really describe it, but I can feel it. Right. Yeah. And we were talking to 
our friend Jacob, who is a apprentice at Barbier Farms and what the other day. And one of the things that we were talking about is the horsemanship that they practice and that he's learning there at Barbier Farms. The idea is that they're just trying to help the horse express themselves. And it's that expression that is almost transcendent then for the human involved in the interaction. And that's what I hear you saying. Oh, and that's I just, really cool. I like yeah, how you said it. Yeah. Yeah. Letting the horse be yes. in their fullness of who they are and getting to experience them in their best selves, in their happiest, most joyful self. That's it. And yeah. That is, that is like, that's sheer joy right here. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's like a gift. To witness anybody, you know, anything right. in their fullest, best self. That's beautiful. I love what he, how he said that. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's basically what you were saying. And, and again, that just goes back to, I think when we are able to witness or, or be in the space of the truth. Yeah. And that's what that sounds like to me. And I, and I, yeah, I can't come up with a better word for it yet. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. Or, but that's yeah, what that's good. Like. Yeah. That's good. You, you're, yeah. you're, I think you're definitely tapping on it. Yeah. Yeah. What is the be- the truth, you know, the real truth, no. mm-hmm. the unfiltered, nothing corroding, nothing on top of it, truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. So yeah. it's, you know, there's so many things to be feeling gratitude for, I know. What's something that you feel gratitude for right now, this moment, these days? If you could distill some gratitude for us, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, there are so many things, you know, but I, I, but I just read a quote yesterday thinking about my very recent trip to Patagonia that's very fresh in my heart. And it was something about like, feel when you step out of your comfort zone, it's when you feel most fully alive. And so I feel very grateful that I've had this opportunity recently to tap into that fully alive feeling like the pure joy of being here. Like if I died in a minute, that's okay. Like I got to experience that wholeness of life in awe. And then just, you know, to come back and spend the holidays in my beautiful home with my husband. One daughter got home. And the first thing I did when I got out of the car from the airport is I ran out to the barn and kissed both my horses and getting to have these amazing horses in my life. So I just um I, nothing is taken for granted. I'm, I'm so aware of what others don't have and the suffering right now in the world. And uh, really aware of that. Not complaining about anything. There's no complaint. There's nothing. In my experience of life, and just grateful. Just try to be my best self and do what I can to make this world a little better. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> Vision, Laura. Yeah, what, what a what a gift of a conversation! Wow, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for the opportunity. Really, I mean, it's just really fun talking to you guys, and I feel grateful for both of you and what you're doing for the horse world, what you do for horses. You know, you're an ambassador for horses, and they're lucky that they have you two here on our planet and helping us be the best we can be for our horses, so they can be. And they're magnificent. So, you know, I'm grateful to the two of you. And, and 
this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Laura. Thank yeah. You. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Means means the world coming from you. So so yeah, I think I'm gonna just need to to process this beautiful conversation for a bit now. <laughs> Me too. I think I'm gonna go out to the barn. And, and 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 do a little grooming and connecting with my very muddy horses. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll come back for part two to yeah. take this on a deeper in some direction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye, Laura. Love you. Bye. Love you too. <laughs> bye bye.